Well, good morning. I, uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we're looking at Mike read verses 10 to 17. As we're moving through 1 Corinthians, I'm constantly reminded right now in this part of the words of Christ to Peter when, when Peter made his confession, you are the Christ, and he told Peter, you're blessed because of this confession. And he said, uh, on this rock, I will build my church. That rock happens to be his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the leaders of, this is what I said last week, if you remember, the leaders of any local assembly, the pastor, elders, those sorts of people, they're contingent. And what I mean by that is that any one particular individual is not necessary. Christ promised to build His church, didn't He? However, um, well, let's, Paul said that. If you look at chapter 3, verse number 7, he said, He who plants... And he who waters, basically what he said is they are nothing. Why are they nothing? The answer is because God gives the growth. But I do want to say this. The, that does not mean that the quality of the builder's work is insignificant. And this is what we find in today's passage. That's literally the point of today's passage. And that is this. How a church leader builds the church is significant. God will judge the quality of their work. That's that's what we see going on today. And so the mental concept for what we are saying, the word picture for what we are reading in today's passage, actually comes from verse number 9. Look at verse number 9 with me, and we're going to take some time explaining that. He says, Paul says, For we, the apostles are God's fellow workers. You, speaking to the church, are God's field, God's building. So the apostles are the, are the fellow workers. There's 12 of them, right? And then the church, all the churches, would be God's field, God's building. Verses 10 to 17 that, that Mike read today key off of that word building. And so here's the question that I have for you. What kind of building is he talking about? What kind of building is he talking about? Well, we know the answer to that question in verse number 16. Look at verse number 16 with us. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? So the reference here is to a temple. It's an Old Testament symbol. And, and, or if you want to use the word type, and I've said it many times, but I'm going to say it again. Many Christians, as a matter of fact, I would say most Christians struggle understanding how the Old and the New Testament fit together. Or even if they fit together at all. How do they relate to one another? Let me give you a little help today. And I want to give you a general principle, and then we're going to sort of explain it. In, in today's passage, the general principle is this. The Old Testament is an earthly picture of New Testament spiritual realities. And so the, the earthly physical happenings of the Old Testament are pictures of spiritual realities in the New Testament. In other words, the physical battles, the, the material blessings, 
the temporal promises of the Old Testament are pointing to greater spiritual battles, greater spiritual blessings, and greater eternal promises of the New Testament. That, that's, that's a general principle of how they fit together. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to dive deep for just a minute. And, and this is a calculated risk. I'm going to dive a little bit deep into, we could call it typology or even biblical theology. And we're going to mine this for just a few minutes. And some of you are going to appreciate it. Others will struggle with this, and others will say, why is he even talking about this? Nevertheless, this is an important uh, teaching, and this is going to be meat. You know how we talked about milk and meat? We're going to chew on some meat for just a little bit, if you don't mind. Because this is an important teaching that goes through the entire Bible. The imagery that Paul is using here in the passage that Mike read today is temple imagery. And believe it or not, temple imagery runs from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Literally, there's temple imagery in Genesis 1, and there's temple imagery in Revelation 22. It goes through the whole Bible. Most likely, Paul is pointing to Solomon's temple as a model for the church, not Herod's temple. Now remember that when Paul wrote this, Herod's temple was standing, and it was a magnificent structure. Beautiful structure, but Paul instead refers back to Solomon's temple. Look at verse number 10 with me for just a minute. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. That foundation, according to verse number 11, is who? Look at, look at verse number 11. Who is the foundation? The foundation is Jesus Christ. What? And, and so that's the foundation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation. Remember what Christ said. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Interestingly enough, the word for rock there is not like they cast stones at somebody, like stoning somebody. Rock is talking about building stone rocks, bedrock, and the kind of rocks they cut out of a mountainside to build these big stone temples with. He's, he's saying, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so that's the foundation, the confession of Jesus Christ. Now, what material was, was built upon the foundation? Look at verse number 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. Now, here we go with some Old Testament. Ready? These are the building materials that are mentioned in the building of Solomon's temple, beginning in 1 Kings chapter number 6, or 5, I'm sorry. In, in 1 Kings 5.17, it says this, At the king's command, they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that Mount Moriah, where the temple was, was a solid stone mount. They leveled it into a level platform by building giant costly stones around it as a foundation and then made it flat. There's a stone, it's a paved stone flat foundation. And so we see here the imagery of the foundation, but then it continues in chapter number 6, in verses 20 and 21, in 1 Kings 6, 20 and 21, 
talking about the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was overlaid with pure gold. He overlaid an altar of cedar, and Solomon overlaid inside the house with with pure gold. And and um, he overlaid an altar of cedar. Solomon overlaid the inside of the house of pure gold. He drew chains across um, in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. Verse number thirty: the floor was overlaid with gold. What does that remind you of? Street, yeah, exactly the street of gold. The street of gold is a temple image. Okay? So the floor was overlaid with gold. Um, Then we learn that in um, verse number 35, that the doors of the temple, listen to the description of the doors of the temple. Carved cherubim and palm trees and open flowers were carved onto the doors, overlaid with gold, evenly applied on the carved work. That's that's First Kings six thirty five, and in First Chronicles twenty two, listen to the abundance. First Chronicles twenty two, the materials were literally without cost. It says, "With great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred talents of gold, or hundred thousand talents of gold." Now, how much is a talent? Seventy five pounds. 7.5 million pounds, if my math is correct, of gold for the temple. Then it says a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond wane. That's what was provided for the temple. Okay? So you get this picture of magnificence. It was magnificent and beautiful on the inside and the outside. But there is more. I want to draw your attention, if you're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to see something here. Paul calls himself a wise master builder, skilled in the, um, in the ESV, the, the, uh, New, the King James and others say wise master builder. Now, in the, Greek, this, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Exodus 35 recounts the building of the tabernacle. And so you see on the screen here, the word wise is the Greek word sophos, which is wisdom. Sophos is wisdom. Sophia is the feminine form of it. You've heard of that. And master builder is the word architecton, where we get our modern day word architect. Okay? Now follow with me. Do you remember that the language of the Hebrew Old Testament is Hebrew, right? When Alexander the Great conquered the world, the language of the nation or the empire was Greek. And over time, more Jews spoke Greek than Hebrew. And so they translated what's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament done by Jews. And in Exodus 35, this is what Paul's doing. He's quoting Exodus 35. Now, what's the context? Exodus 35, 31 and 32 is all about the skilled builders who are building all the implements for the tabernacle. And they use the exact same words. These skilled builders are um, filled with skill, sophos. There, oh, let me go back. There it is. With craftsmanship and then artistic designs. If you read those verses in Exodus 35, 31, 32, you'll see that in there. And so Paul is quoting 
Even beginning in verse number 10, temple imagery. Now, you're, I know some of you are tuning out. Stay with me because it's, it's going to get really good here. I need to point out one more picture, and we can put all this together. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, are you there? 1 Corinthians 3.9, I want to point out something that I completely skipped over last week intentionally, and I want to deal with it this week. Look at what he says. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now, what word did I not deal with? The word is field. The word field is the word vineyard. You are God's vineyard. You are God. You're intentionally planted somewhere. You don't, you don't just find a vineyard popping up in the middle of the woods or in the middle of a field somewhere. It's intentionally planted. Now, why am I saying that? Because from the beginning of Scripture, the temple has always been a garden temple. It's always been that way. Literally, the... the if you know, this is from the ESV study Bible, though. So if you go, if you have an ESV study Bible, you go to 1 Kings 6, around that area, you're going to find this image. And I clipped it. But I want to show you some features. They were emulating, you ready? The Garden of Eden, the inside of the temple. Look. You have this, these two pillars have names. There's a pillar here and a pillar here. And I'm going to read the verse. Well, I'll go ahead and read it now. You ready? Um, in in uh, 1 Kings 6.29, it says, All around the walls of the house, he carved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. 1 Kings 7.18-20, the two pillars on either side had 200 pomegranates in two rows around the outside of the, on the capitals of these pillars. The pillars are made to be palm trees. Can you see that? And the palm trees had pomegranates. And so the entrance, you're, it's like you're entering a garden. Look at the door. Palm trees on the door. Cherubim on the door. The motif continues all the way to the inside. Now remember, these are carved in wood, overlaid in gold. You have cherubim down here, uh, which are angels. Now, now this, what's so important about cherubim? Do you remember what they did in Genesis chapter 3? They guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden so Adam and Eve could not go in there and live forever in a sinful state. What is guarding the Holy of Holies, which is here? What is that? A cherubim. So these cherubim are guarding, just like the Garden of Eden. Now look at this. Palm trees here and here, and open flowers. And then in Solomon's temple, there were ten golden menorah. Candlesticks. You see them right here. One, two, three, four, five. There were five on this other side, and they were they were carved to look like almond trees in bloom. And so the whole inside of the temple was meant to emulate the Garden of Eden, with cherubim and fruit and trees and all this sort of thing. Now think with me. Um, when Adam and Eve were kicked out, they were sin, sinning. There were cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden, so they could not go back in there. When you go to Revelation 21-22, what do you find? You, you find in the book of Revelation, around the throne, cherubim. That's actually early in the book of Revelation. 
But you find fruit trees, you find a street of gold, you find all of this imagery in Revelation 21 and 22. And the Bible says there's no need for a temple because God is the temple. Now, one more thing, and we're going to move on. The temple is beautiful and ornate in the Old Testament because it's symbolic of the presence of God. Right? It's the place on earth where God dwelt and it's heavily, heavily guarded and fortified and that sort of thing. In the New Testament, what or who is the temple? Well, God, first of all, in the Gospels, Jesus said, I am the temple. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you. So now you are the temple. And so the temple is no, now no, somewhere that you don't you don't come to the temple anymore. But the temple is out in the world, penetrating the world. And one day, when Christ comes back and eternity starts, there's no need for a physical temple because God is the temple and we'll be living literally in the temple. Now, why am I going into all this detail? Let's keep going. I'll show you why. The garden temple aspect of it is found in Psalm 92. Look at what it says. It says the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. House of the Lord is is a euphemism for what? The temple and shall flourish in the house of our God. So Paul is telling these these New Testament Christians, some of them Jews who have seen the, the, the temple that Herod built, saying, you are the garden, you are the garden temple. God dwells in you. Now, does that give them significance? Does that give you significance? It does. We're going we're gonna to get to that in just a minute. We are God's vineyard planted in His temple. Oh, one more thing that's really cool. I didn't tell you this. See these giant doors? Uh, there, there, there are drawings that I have in other books right up here on the inside of the temple. Do you know what they did? They made a trellis out of gold and they hung golden vines, grapevines. And um, also, because this is a cutaway view, I've got others that on the outside between these two pillars hanging down was also a golden vine with grapes and gold and uh, recorded in history many times when a conquering nation would come in and demand a tribute, they would cut those grapevines down and give them, because the weight of the gold was very heavy, and they would give them in payment. And then they would build them. Sometimes they were built back in bronze and stuff like that. But we are God's vineyard. We, we are planted in His temple. And the temple is now no longer one location, but it's penetrating the, the whole world. And the beauty of it is in the... Now, this temple is beautiful, right? So what's the beauty of the New Testament temple? The beauty of the New Testament temple, and this is where you need to go with this, is in the character of the lives of the living stones who are becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so therefore, you reflect the beauty of the temple of God when you reflect the character of Almighty God. That gives you purpose, doesn't it? It gives you tremendous purpose. And so this is, this is um, the background 
And, and it's a long background. I know that some of you um, were probably not as blessed by this as others. But I want to move on because now that we have this background, let's figure out this passage real quick. Verse number 10. Let's read it together. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, ready? I'm going to explain it real fast. The apostles are foundational. When it comes to building the church, what is the foundation they're building on? We already covered that. Verse number 11, Jesus Christ. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ given through the scriptures that they write. The apostles are foundational because they write the scriptures about Jesus Christ. They write the gospel. That's how they are foundational. You also find that in the book of Revelation too, right? When they move on, others come in behind them and build upon it. One person's name is who? Apollos. We've been covering him. But there are other pastor teachers, elders, church leaders. And these men, how are they to build the church? They use the foundational teaching of Jesus Christ, laid down by the apostles to build the church. Again, we learned last week that God gives the growth, but Paul warns in verse number 10 that the church leader needs to be careful how he builds on this foundation. This, the elders... A Providence Bible Church need to be careful how he builds it. Look at verse number 10. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Obviously, the, the teaching, he is teaching that the work of one pastor elder can be of differing quality from another. Don't you think that's the implication? You find that implication because you see gold, silver, precious stones Wood, hay, stubble, there's differing qualities of building going on in a church. Now, six building materials mentioned in verse number 12. I'm not going to take time to flesh these out. Um, The former, obviously, gold, silver, precious stones endure. The latter, wood, hay, stubble, they do not. Some leaders take great care and build with costly materials. Others are careless and use inferior supplies. And I'm going to throw out a question to you for you to just think about. How do you distinguish? How do you distinguish the building material that a pastor is using in a church? Is it because he's a really popular speaker? Is it because he's got a huge church? Is it, is it because he gets around, he visits everybody? Is it because he makes you laugh? What, how do you know the building material? Can I be quite honest with you? You probably don't know the building material completely because the Bible says that God is the judge. The day will make it manifest. So Paul is teaching here, I believe, that, that you might have some clues but God is ultimately the judge. Look at, look at the verse number 13. And each one's work will become manifest on the day. What's the day? The day of judgment. Now, now here's the picture. When time is over, Jesus Christ is coming back. You read his parables in Matthew in, in 25 and 20, 24, 25, 26, all of the, that narrative there. The parables state 
that when Jesus comes back in the second coming, the first thing that's going to happen is judgment. The very first thing. It's called the day. The day of the Lord or the day of judgment. However you want to look at it. And, and so that's the first thing that's going to happen. He's going to judge the nature of each leader's work. And he will test it. And see how it withstands the testing. And the gold, silver, and precious stones will go through the fire. They will be purified. And they will be greater. And he will receive a reward. The ones who are building on wood, hay, and stubble, they will be burned up. And we'll see about that in just a minute. But I want to ask this question. Do we have any clues to the criteria? How do you judge how a pastor is doing? How do you judge how the elders are doing? Well, let's just use the context of 1 Corinthians to see if we can figure this out. I'm going to give you one. Ready? Here's a question. Did they build with human wisdom or with the wisdom of God? Now, why would I say that? Because the whole last two chapters of 1 Corinthians have been about that, haven't they? Don't use human wisdom in building a church. Paul so thoroughly avoids human wisdom and God so utterly condemned uh, at the cross and involves uh, not only displays of, of human brilliance and the message of human adequacy, but the values of self-reliance and self-promotion. In a nutshell, Paul teaches that God will judge Christian workers on their avoidance of human wisdom and adherence to the wisdom of the cross as they go about their, their work. Using human wisdom and worldly philosophy to build a church, Paul said, robs the gospel of its power. So what does that look like? Well, does the pastor use marketing techniques? That's human wisdom. Um, all other things um, that the Word of God, that the, the, other than the Word of God that the world tells us that we should be doing. Uh, there for a while, it was drama. You, people no longer read, so you shouldn't lecture for 30 minutes. Rather, you should have a drama. Um, is it the right kind of music? Is that what the pastor's using? How about branding? Uh, we're going to brand our church this way. Maybe they're building on the personality or, or relevance or, or whatever else you want to say. These are the things that worldly wisdom says you must use because we need to distinguish Providence Bible Church from all the other churches out there. Do we avoid those sort of things? Okay. What would our brand be, by the way? <laughs> the church with the stodgy pastor? I don't know. Okay. Secondly, this is from chapter 4, verse 2. You can look with me there. They will be judged for their faithfulness. Paul said, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Pastors and elders will be judged by how faithful they were in the opportunities that God has given them to build. Were they lazy? Were they fearful? Um, did they work energetically? How was their private prayer life? Where, where was their dependence? And, and, and can I say a word about prayer for just a minute? Prayer is hard work. I mean, prayer, sitting down and praying for other people is hard work. There are times I'm driving into the office and I'm literally praying, Lord, give me strength to pray today. 
Because prayer is hard work, and I think all of you would, would say that, that it is. So if you can pray for me in one way, pray that I have the, the strength to pray. Because that, that's one of the important things that we're, we're going to do. There, there's almost 500 names in our directory right now. And, and so there, there's a lot to pray for. Um, so will they be judged? They will be judged for their faithfulness. Look, look at chapter 4, verse number 5. There's another way. They will be judged by the motives of their heart. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Each one will receive his commendation from, from the Lord, from God. The, uh, that is the motive of the heart. You know, that's a scary one for me as a pastor. Have you ever done the right thing on the outside and not felt like it on the inside? Yeah, me too. So, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've, in past times, I've made visits. And the only motivation for making that visit is because I know if I don't make the visit, I will be the subject of the gossip line on the telephone. I did not receive reward for that because my motive was wrong. And so God judges motives as well. Now, these are three criteria that God could use to judge elders. It could be that a man is a pastor of a large church, seemingly blessed by God, have a big following, but it may burn up in the end. It's wood, hay, and stubble. Roy Clampa, a commentator, sums it up like this. He says, to conform to the wisdom of the world um, in Christian ministry is not only to empty the cross of Christ of its power and to encourage a misplaced faith, that would be placing faith in human wisdom, but it also leads ministers forfeiting a reward from God, is to prove to not be faithful to the Master, much as at stake for the building and for the worker alike. And that is so true. That's sobering. Well, let's, let's move to the three kinds of workers. We're going we're gonna to move through this pretty cl- fast. Paul says there's three kinds, right? First of all, there's the foolish or the wise builder. Verse number 14. If the work of anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Gold, silver, precious stones survive the fire. What, are these, what does gold, silver, precious stones look like in Christian ministry? Can you answer that? What, what do you think it is? Well, uh, Psalm, Psalm 119, verse number 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So we're talking about the Word of God here, aren't we? Uh, Proverbs 8.10, Take my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. So again, the Word of God is more valuable than gold and silver. The most precious possession in the universe, get this, the most precious possession in the universe is God's Word. Why? Because it is permanently true and will never, ever pass away. Do you know what I'm excited about when I get to heaven? One of the things uh, I've told you before, I'm excited about shedding sin, not being tempted to sin. Another thing that I'm excited about when I get to heaven is I will have a greater understanding of God's word. Um, there every year there are thousands of pages of material written about God's Word every year. Uh, I'm reading three books right now uh, just helping me to understand 
God's Word, and I would say that the sum total of all three of those books is over 1,600 pages. And I'm just kind of rotating between them. And there's so much that I don't understand about God's Word. And part of it is because I see through a glass darkly, right? Like our, our, our uh, comprehension is clouded, but part of it is that there is so much there. Like, you know, I was showing you the temple. Uh, I have books in, in my library Hundreds and hundreds of pages just explaining temple imagery, and I feel like I've just scratched the surface of that one. What about the significance of meals? What about the significance of Jerusalem? What about the significance of grapevines? And I mean, there's so much, and so all of eternity, because God's Word is eternal, one of the things that we're going to be doing is having a greater and greater understanding of God's Word. Won't that be great? We, we learn in First Peter that, that those who are truly saved are built up in their faith and constructed by God's Word. Because he says, Since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, all flesh is like grass, and its glory like a flower of grass. The gra- Listen to this. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the Word of God remains forever. And then he says this, And this was the good news that was preached to you, the Gospel. The gospel. So when a pastor preaches sound, solid doctrine, he is building constructively. When a teacher teaches the word consistently and fully, he is building with good materials. And when a pastor does build with good materials, he is richly rewarded. But there's a second builder, a foolish builder. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. Here's the image. Ready? The building is burning and it's falling down and literally he's, he's dragged out and he smells like smoke and everything else that he had burned up. We would say today he got out by the skin of his teeth, right? And that's all that he has, the skin of his teeth. Many humanly impressive, seemingly beautiful and worthwhile works that pastors and elders do in the Lord's name will not stand the test in that day. The Bible says it will become evident that the materials used were wood, hay, and straw. And then there are destructive builders. In verse number 17, he says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You know, in reality, these aren't builders at all. These These are not even believers. These are unsaved pastors of churches who work to destroy the church. I I believe that these men are the false teachers of the Bible. For example, um, Jude talks about false teachers. In verses 8 to 10, he talks about their immorality, their insubordination, and their irreverence. Their lifestyles are immoral. They're insubordinate not only to God's Word, but to church tradition and what the church has, has, um, has taught through the Word of God for years and years. They're irreverent. You see people who are irreverent in services. According to Jude, then, the result is that they're hidden dangers and they will have a wide audience and they will appear successful. But Paul warned this. Listen to Paul's warning in 2 Timothy 4.3. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There is no lack for pastors, 
saved or unsaved, who are willing to sell themselves out to gain an audience, to build a larger church, the end of these men, if they're saved, will be everything's burned up. They will have no reward. And if they're false teachers, their end, according to the Bible, is destruction. And there are, there are flocks and flocks of people that want to come to this kind of church, to the relevant church, to the church that makes me happy. I, I feel inspired after leaving uh, those messages. Now, these are, these are the kind of builders. And you might be sitting there saying, okay, uh, Jared, so what? What does this have to do with me? Well, let's just go through some real quick applications and we'll be done. Well, what can we pull out for the average person sitting in the chair? Well, number one, make sure that you are building your spiritual life on the Word of God. Right? That's the gold. That's the silver, precious stones. It, it really is simple. Build your life on the Word of God and you will become more like Christ. And the more like Christ you become, the more you get rewarded. It's that simple. So what do you do? Make sure you're reading your Bible. You know, I know that, that many of you probably, it's trailed off this year. New Year's is coming. You can make a new New Year's resolution and you can start reading the Bible. Uh, listen, if you're not a reader, listen to it on your commute to work. Listen to an audio Bible. Listen to good, solid preaching and teaching on God's Word. You can read books about God's Word that teaches you how to understand it better. Listen to audiobooks on it. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Make it a priority because according to the Bible, God's Word is greater than gold or silver. And that's what the church is built upon. And God wants to reward he really does. Number two, be faithful in what God has called you to do. Faithfulness is, is a huge part of the economy of God. If you're a parent, be faithful to teach the Word of God. Be faithful to model Christ-like behavior. Point your children to heaven, not worldly priorities. Um, if you're children's church worker, deacon, Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, etc., be faithful, be dependable. Be faithful in seeking Christ-likeness for your own life. Be faithful in putting off sin. Be faithful in the means of grace. Be faithful in seeking the kingdom of God. If you have the opportunity to help widows, feed the poor, minister to the lowly, do it. Why? Because God rewards faithfulness when you go to the, the parable of the talents. When, when Jesus is talking about the day of judgment, what is the constant condom, commendation? Well done, good and faithful servant. God loves to reward. You find in Ephesians, Paul says that uh, the riches of His grace are our reward. We have an eternal, eternal inheritance. It is... Huge reward. God doesn't call you to be super Christian. God doesn't call you to be as pious as the Apostle Paul. God calls you to be faithful where you are, whatever you're planning to do. Maybe God's call of faithfulness for you is to minister to your elderly parents. I don't know what it is. 
But be faithful. God will reward you for that in what He's called you to do. But I want to throw in another one. It's very similar, and I could have included it under this heading. And that is be faithful in using your spiritual gifts. A major part of 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. You are gifted. God has given you gifts to help build His church. Are you using those gifts? Are you using your spiritual gifts? Be faithful in doing that. The, the Bible says that when we minister, that when, when we use His gifts in His name, um, the, it's of supreme importance to the building for Him. And in Christ's service, we must be seeking to become those vessels of honor useful to the Master. Let me give you one more. Build with the right motives. Why we do things is just as important as what we are doing. Evangelizing your neighbors out of compulsion is wood. Visiting the same people out of love is gold. Singing or playing in the church or being concerned about how the people like our voice or our playing is hay. But singing to glorify God is silver. Giving generously out of duty or pressure from men is straw. But giving generously with joy extended to, to the gospel, to extend the gospel and serve others is precious stones. Work that is on the outside looks like gold to us, maybe hay in God's eyes. So work and build with the right motives. Let me close and do it real fast. I want to leave you with this thought. When Christ comes back, the first act that we will be involved in is judgment. And if you are a believer, that judgment is the judgment of reward. Praise God, it's not the judgment for sin, right? And if you are a believer, the reward will be eternal. Never failing. Never fading. Isn't that great? I, I, watch, um, I watch golf every now and then. Uh, sleep to golf, too. But the commercials, what are golf commercials? Though, those few people who actually watch them. They're always retirement funds, right? What are, what are football commercials a lot of times? If it's not beer and cars, it's retirement planning, financial planning, right? Now think about something. How long is retirement? Not long enough? How long are the rewards we're working for God. Eternal. That, that places a, a real priority on it, doesn't it? And so there's a judgment of reward. If you're building your life pursuing human wisdom and temporal goals and dreams, then you're building with wood, hay, and stubble. These will be swept away and you will be going to heaven smelling like smoke. But if you build your spiritual life faithfully on God's Word with the right motives, you know what the fire of Judgment Day will do to your works? It will completely purify your works. All, because all of us, I don't think any of us can actually do anything for God with 100% pure motive. It's always tainted by sin. What God's going to do with those things that we did for Him, He's going to burn off all those improper motives. And what's left is the pure work of God and its magnificence. And your Christ-like character will be perfect. And your reward will endure for all of eternity.
Isn't that great? By the way, I don't want any emails this week saying pastors against retirement planning. That's not what I said at all. Okay? Um, I am planning for retirement. My kids are going to support me. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, we're, we're saving and everything for retirement, but my main goal is I want to save and work for eternity because that's what's important. Lord, I know this is a, a long message. I appreciate everybody's attention. There, there's so much there in your word. I love the imagery of the temple. And what I pray is that the adorning of the temple of God that is characterized by Providence Bible Church will be the adorning of Christ-like character, of fervent love for God and fervent love for our neighbor. It's the adorning of, of holiness, setting, our, setting apart of ourselves unto God. Lord, I pray that you are pleased with the way that we are building this assembly. Lord, make us more like you. Give us a mind that is set on eternity and eternal things. And Lord, help us to build with the right motives. And Lord, I pray that on the day, on that glorious day when Christ comes back, that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Master. In Christ's name, amen.